Thanks for listening to one of the audio messages from Cornerstone Church Airdrie. My name is Brad, and I'm the lead campus pastor and primary preaching voice here at Cornerstone Church Airdrie. We believe that the God who spoke so clearly all through the pages of Scripture is still speaking to his kids today. So if it's me who's speaking to you or someone else on this recording, as you listen, we pray that you would know God, know his hope, know his purpose, and know his power. Enjoy the message. Touch the sky from earth, but still your house of choice was broken, vessels made of dirt, so make my heart your home. If you'd like to, to follow along with us in scripture this morning, um, you can turn in your Bible, you can open your Bible, your app, your webpage, whatever it is that you're going to use if, to follow along if you'd like to, to 2 Corinthians chapter 10. Um, over the last couple of weeks, we have been talking about the way that our thinking affects so much about our lives and, and the importance of, of having a correct way of thinking and having a correct way of understanding and perceiving the world. We, t we started in Romans chapter 12, verse 1 and 2 a few weeks ago, where Paul urges us not to conform to, to the mold that this world wants to push us into for our thinking, our perceptions, our attitudes, and our actions, but instead to be transformed formed by the renewing of our minds. That there's the potential for us to be changed in the way that we think that is consistent with the way that the Holy Spirit is working inside of us. That there is some reality to the fact that our minds need to be renewed or, or retrained in a way to think accordance with the truth instead of just buying into the way that our culture and our times and our natural flesh believe that we need to be thinking. And then last week we took a look at Romans chapter 8 and we talked about how our minds are always going. That, that we are thinking about stuff and using mental energy on stuff all of the time. We may not always be aware of, of how we are exhausting mental energy on these things, but we are doing it all of the time. Some of us are exhausting mental energy on the return of hockey and how all of this is going to play out and what does this look like and what does this mean for Calgary and what does this mean for, for a bad team like Vancouver or what does this mean for, for what? Or, or some of us are exhausting mental energy on Real Housewives or some of us are exhausting mental energy on the stock market or some of us are exhausting mental energy on the daily COVID case numbers and some of us are exhausting mental energy reliving the hurtful things that have been done to us. All of these things shape us and they move us in a certain direction. See, it's not are you going to spend your time thinking and ruminating on things. You are. The question is what? What are you going to spend your mental energy on? Because what we think on, what our minds spend time on, what you might say we meditate on, what we repeat again and again to ourselves, what we allow through our thoughts into our hearts, it shapes us. It affects us emotionally and it becomes a part of who we are. 
But what we want is for our thinking to be in alignment with the new life that we were given in Christ Jesus when we were born again and made new in Christ. And in Romans chapter 8, we saw that there was this desperate need in our lives to align our thoughts. The verse tells us to put our mind on the things of the Spirit so that our thoughts would lead us to life not to allow our thoughts to be overcome by our sinful selves that will only lead us to death. That we need to think in accordance with God's word and God's spirit at work within us, within you. There is a war that, th that our thoughts and our thinking wages on our faith. And it's important because as we talked about, when we talk about thinking, sometimes we fall into this trap of thinking it's just this neutral thing. It's just something that happens inside of us. That our, our thinking, our thoughts, our faith, oper and our faith, they operate on two different levels. That I think over here and my faith is over here. And those two things, they don't need to interact with each other. But when we look at how scripture talks about this, that our, our, we see that our thoughts are actually embroiled in this spiritual warfare between our faith and our flesh. How you think influences how you act. The pattern of the thoughts that take root in you determine the patterns of attitude and actions that manifest in your daily life. That is to say that so much of who you are and the health of your spiritual life is a product of your thought life. And that's where life's battles get really hot. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, starting in verse 3, it says this, For we walk... Or th for though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. This, per this verse paints a picture of what this spiritual battle looks like. It talks about how this battle, how there's this battle inside of every one of us that we're engaged in what this looks like. And the first thing that we see in verse 3 that we read is that this war, it's not war in the way that we would understand or think about war, even spiritual warfare. It says... It's not in the flesh. And so what this means is that it's important for us to understand because probably a lot of us have bought into this idea and for many of us, this is actually where we hang our hats. That, that our spiritual warfare is taking place in our flesh. But what verse 3 tells us is that this spiritual warfare that we're engaged in this battle isn't about what we do. It's not about our actions. It's, it's not about what we do. So often we, we think that the evidence of our spirituality, the evidence of my Christianity, is in what we do. How we live our lives. Look at my morality. Look at my piety. Look at the things that I do. I live like a Christian. Therefore, I must be winning this war. But this verse tells us that that's not what it's about. The, the battle for your life is not fought in your physical actions. The battle for your soul isn't fought in the record of what you did or didn't do today. But instead, it runs way deeper than that. Jesus will, will talk about this. He'll wade into this, this understanding of, of, our, of ourselves in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 5. In Matthew 5, Jesus delivers this sermon and he comes to this place where he talks about a couple of sins that, that probably unanimously we, we would together agree that these are some biggies. A couple of sins that, that are not the, yeah, but, but everybody kind of does that 
kind of sins that, that we all are, are sort of willing to compromise on. A couple of sins that, that perhaps many of us would say, I've never done that. I've never gone that far. In Matthew chapter 5, verse 21, it says this, You've heard that it was said long ago, or said to the people long ago, You shall not murder, and anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. Thou shalt not murder. Commandment number six on the big board of commandments. This is a pretty extreme one. I mean, if you've murdered someone, I think it's safe to say that you've lost the battle for your soul. You lost that battle. That that, that was not the intended outcome that God had for you in your life. I mean, it, it's not a little white lie. It, it's not like we can say, well... Who does it even hurt? Very clearly, it hurts someone. I, I mean, I can fairly confidently say that probably not many, if any, it must be a very small percentage of the people watching this are guilty of murder. Or perhaps even if you haven't yet been found guilty, have still murdered someone. My guess is that the percentage of people watching this, it must be very, very small. Hopefully none, but I don't know what you've done. So this is something that we can hang our hats on. We can look and say, got that one nailed down. Don't struggle with that at all. Have never even really been tempted to murder someone. But, just, but Jesus will drive home this idea that it's not just about the record of the things we did or didn't do, but that the spiritual battle that we're taking place in takes place in a different space than that when he will say, but I tell you, anyone who is angry with a brother or sister will be subject to judgment. Again, anyone who says to a brother or sister, Raka, is accountable to the court. And anyone who says, you fool, will be in danger of the fire of hell. Jesus says, great, well done. You've not physically manifested yourself in your lives all the way to murder. But the battle was fought way before that. And if you were angry, if you cursed them under your breath, if you yelled at them when they cut you off in traffic, if you responded in your heart, in your spirit, in your thoughts, in your mind, even never allowing it to go further than that, if you responded in your mind, then you're just as guilty as if you acted on it. Then a couple of verses later, in verse 27, Jesus will say, You've heard it said, you shall not commit adultery. Another one from, from the Big Ten. Now, I, I would like to, to believe that most of the people watching and participating in our time together have never committed adultery. And the statistics would say that probably not most have committed adultery, but, but it would be naive for me to think that no one had. But I'm going to err on the side of belief in you and, and err on the side of optimism. I'm going to err on the side that, that we, we are a good people that, that would never do something like that. And again, assume that the large majority of us would look at the idea of adultery and say, not me, not I, not ever. I love my wife. I love my husband. And I would never do anything like that. And we can hang our hats on it. We can see other relationships where this has happened. And we think to ourselves, how could they do that? That is despicable. 
How could he do that to his wife and kids? And we can have this sense of moral superiority because I would never. And we can allow ourselves to feel as if we're better, that we're winning our spiritual battle more convincingly because I would never do that. But Jesus would say about this, that it's not just about the events in your life. It's not just about what you did or, or you didn't do. It runs deeper than that. In verse 28, he says, I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Oh. That's, that's a little different. That's a little closer to home. But, but Jesus, I, I never acted on it. I never did anything. I, I, it, didn't, it doesn't hurt anyone. I, I never physically did anything, and I never ever would. But Jesus says, it's not the point. The battle for your heart, the battle for your purity is fought way before you ever touched her. It's fought way before you were ever in your first compromising situation with him. It was fought way before you started innocently flirting. It was fought way before you started taking off your wedding ring when she was around. It was fought so far before you did anything. And where does Jesus say that it started? It started inside. It started in your heart. It started in your mind. You see, it's so easy for us to fall into the trap of thinking, well, did I do it or not? In fact, that's probably, for many of us, one of the go-to defenses in our lives. When somebody will accuse us of something, well, I didn't actually do anything. How can you be mad at me when I didn't even do anything? But Jesus will say, it's not about something that we did. But the victory or, or defeat in the battle happens way before we did or didn't do something. That the final act of actually doing something, that's not the battleground. But that, fought, that battle was fought way before that in our hearts and in our minds. So, so we may be able to say, I have never murdered anyone. But Jesus will say, but did, did you think thoughts around that? And I may say, I never touched her. But Jesus will say, but what thoughts were going through your mind? So when Paul wrote the verse in, in 2 Corinthians that said, For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. Don't be tricked into thinking that because I live in this body, that the spiritual battle that we are in is determined by what I do or do not do with just this physical body. It runs so much deeper than that. And in fact, Paul will say that what we do or do not do with this body, it's not even part of the battle. He says, we do not war in the flesh. Now, not some of the battle happens there, and some happens there, and some happens there. Paul will say that the spiritual battle that we're involved in, it doesn't, it doesn't happen in the physical results of our flesh. We don't war with our flesh. This isn't the battle. But our battle takes place not in the physical, but on a deeper level, inside of us. The next verse in, in 2 Corinthians chapter 10 says, the weapons that we fight with are not the weapons of the world, but mighty in God. 
This tells us that it's, it's not just our battle that's not taking place out here, but our weapons aren't even out here. We don't win this battle simply by controlling or altering our behavior. My weapon isn't my actions. I don't win this battle based on what I do or don't do. And in fact, I don't even fight the battle on these terms. I am not winning or losing my battle based on, on what I'm doing. That's how the world wants us to fight. This is the pattern of the world that we're trying to be pushed to conform to. That, that you do right, that, that if, you, if you do right, then you are right. That, hey, if my life looks good and looks okay and I'm not really hurting anyone and I'm generally pleasant and pretty moral, that things are going to be okay for me. This, this is where we get this weirdly secularized, vaguely moralistic view of what getting into heaven looks like. Where you know that if, if you're generally a good person and, and didn't do anything too bad, then you should get into heaven. Because you didn't do anything so bad that would cause you to deserve hell. That's for those really bad apples. Because from a worldly perspective, this is what the battle looks like. What did you do? And what did you not do? And if the good ones outnumber the bad, then we're going to be all right. But Paul says, he says, no, you don't. We don't win our battles that way. And in fact, don't even be fooled into thinking we fight our battles that way. And then he says that the way that we fight it's more powerful than that. It's bigger than that. It's on a larger scale than that. He talks about the weapons that we, that we fight with are not the weapons of the world, but mighty in God for pulling down of strongholds, casting down arguments, and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. It says that our weapons that are mighty in God... What do they do? They, they're for the pulling down of strongholds, the casting down of arguments, and removing every high thing that stands up against God. So, so let's quickly unpack what these things are in our lives in light of what we've been talking about. First thing it says, it says strongholds. Other translations will, will say things like fortresses. So, so what is a stronghold? Now, if you're taking notes, you're going to want to write this down. What is a stronghold? A stronghold is something that has a strong hold on your life. That, folks, is why I went to Bible college. A stronghold is something that, that holds you and, and keeps you from doing what the Lord would want you to do. It talks about it being like a fortress. A stronghold is a struggle with the enemy. It can be a fleshly desire that goes against God's word. Strongholds are lies that keep us from the truth. A stronghold is a mindset, a thought process, a value system that hinders our life with God. Anything that competes with Jesus is a stronghold for a believer. A stronghold is something that the devil will seek to build up in your life. A stronghold can be anything. A negative opinion of the church, of yourself, of your neighbor. Guilt, worry, fear, greed, bitterness, unforgiveness. The variety of strongholds are as great as the number of people on earth and possibly more. And as we allow these strongholds to be built up in our lives, we allow for more stuff to just be piled up between us and God. But Paul will say that the weapons that we fight with that aren't good for out here 
are good for this specific thing. They are mighty in God against these strongholds. In fact, their job is to tear them down. Then the next, ver the next part of the verse will, will say arguments. It will talk about arguments, that, that casting down arguments. Now, now what this verse is not specifically pointing to is, is being argumentative are literally being in an argument with someone. It's not somehow that our weapons are just good for keeping us out of an argument. Again, it runs deeper than that. What this verse is really speaking to is about the, the rationalizations that we have come to have in our hearts and our lives. Our reasons, our arguments for doing something, and specifically in the context that we're, we're talking about, the arguments that are coming from a worldly place a fleshly place in our lives. The things in our lives that we've convinced ourselves are okay in our, in our lives because it is allowed to become okay with the decisions and choices that we made because we've allowed for our minds to become that it's actually okay. Because, because it makes me happy and I'm a better husband when I'm happy, I'm going to continue to do these things behind my wife's back. Because it gets me more money, or because it gets me ahead at work, and then I will have more money to give to the church, I'm going to stab my colleague in the back. Because I have always wanted this, I have always wanted it. And it's not fair that somebody else got it and I didn't. And it's not fair. I have wanted this from the beginning. I am just going to take it. Because I really deserve what they got. That I look at what somebody else has and I say, that should be me. That should be my story. That should be my house. That should be my car. That should be my phone. That should be my whatever it is. I have worked hard. I have sacrificed. I have given to the church. I've done all of these things because that should be me. I'm actually justified in being jealous and angry. It's these conflicts that we've had in our spirits that seemingly have been resolved. That, that, that we may have struggled with them for a while, but we've put the struggle to bed. And we've just accepted that this is now a part of my life. These, it's the arguments that we've lost. We, we've accepted the lies of the enemy, the arguments of the enemy in our hearts and in our minds, and they've just become part of, of who we are. That, that we'll it's okay because technically we're not. It's okay that we've accepted and we've just come to embrace this part of who we are. And, and maybe we've come to a place where we don't even see them anymore. We don't even realize that we're compromising. It's not a compromise because I'm not even choosing to think about it that way. It's just who I am. I can't picture myself without it. Or, or maybe I've allowed myself to even become convinced that in my case, in my circumstance, in my way of thinking, it's all right. I think back to Adam and Eve in the garden. God had given them everything. And he had given them no reason to doubt him or question him. But then the devil begins to make his argument. And 
Eve and, and, and Adam and the devil, they go back and forth a little bit. They go back and forth and they have a little bit of an argument and the devil begins to make his argument. You know, God is keeping something from you. He, he's not generous as he said. He is holding something back from you. And after a little time, the argument doesn't become an argument anymore. And Adam's in, Adam and Eve's minds become settled in the argument. And then finally, the last thing that it says that our weapons are for are for the pulling down of the high things. Now, now what is a high thing that needs to be pulled down? What, is the, what this is speaking to are, are things that represent systems or ideologies or, or opinions that could, could beat our human reasoning and are capable of overthrowing the faith of some people. They are, they are things, ideas, opinions, philosophies that really do make sense in our way of thinking, but they run counter to God, but they do make sense. Really what this is talking about here is, is our human mind and our human understanding that, that we can use our own minds to weigh out things and ideas, but our human brains can become compromised. And in Scripture, it'll talk about the, the things of God are actually sound like foolishness. And, and it's when we, when we start to use our brain to determine what's foolish and what's not, that, that we start to, to have our, our own reasoning enter into our understanding of our faith. It's why when Paul wrote to the church in Galatia, what we know as the book of Galatians, he has to bring correction to the issue of salvation and confusing the connection with the Jewish law. That they had allowed their understanding and their thoughts to begin to add to what it meant to be saved. Or, or why when Paul wrote to the church in Colossae, the book of Colossians, he had to write about Gnostic philosophy that was seeking to build itself up inside of the church. In every church that Paul wrote to, something was different. But the enemy seeks to dilute the gospel and to change it from what it is. It seeks to dethrone the supremacy of Christ and to make him less important than he is. It exalts man-made speculations and ideas and elevates it to the level of God's word. And this, my friends, is the battle that we found ourselves in. And we think we're winning it. We think we're fighting it out here. But you know the easiest way to win a battle? To, to trick your enemy into thinking the battle is happening somewhere else. To get them to go somewhere else to go fight the battle. That, that you, you're, you're interested in, in, in taking this plot of land, but you convince your enemy to go fight over there. Then you can just walk in and take it. We are not engaged in a battle out here. The weapons that we have cannot win the battle out here. They can't even fight the battle out here. All the things that Paul says about the weapons that we have, they were not for out here. They were all for in here. They were all for in here. But our lives and our hearts and our minds can be so tricked into thinking that out here is where the battle is happening. And then in reality... We're losing the battle because it's not out here. It's, it's in here and we're fighting in a place we can't fight and we can't win. And we're losing the place where we can fight and we can win. Paul tells us the strategy for winning the battle with the close of verse 5 when he says, 
bringing every thought captive or into captivity to the obedience of Christ. The devil seeks to attack the mind. The devil realizes that actions start with thought. Jesus said, your actions don't matter, it's your thoughts. Adultery, suicide, alcoholism, drug abuse, and the abuse of all kinds don't start there. They begin with negative thoughts and bad thinking and erroneous thoughts. There's a, there's a saying that says, watch your thoughts, they become words. Watch your words, they become actions. Watch your actions, they become habits. Watch your habits, they become character. Watch your character, it becomes your destiny. So, how do we do this? How do we take every thought captive? To close this week and to close this series, I want to very quickly give you six things that you can use to take every thought captive. Now, this is going to be going back over the last two weeks and into this week. It's going to be sort of like a wrapping up of everything. Some things we talked about in the last couple of weeks, but here we go. Six things, quickly. Number one, accept responsibility for your thoughts. You have the ability to exercise control over your thoughts. God warned Cain at the very beginning to focus his mind on the right things. But Cain chose to think about the wrong things. Anger and jealousy, which led to his murderous actions. Are, are you willing to admit that you can, with God's help, regain control of your thoughts and think enabling thoughts instead of disabling thoughts? Number two, your mind, not just your behavior, must change. God's call to change sinful behavior that doesn't honor him, God calls us to do that. But instead of focusing out here where we can't win, work on disciplining your mind from which all of our actions and our behaviors stem. Allow God to transform you by the renewing of your mind. Romans 12, 2. Number three, think about your problems rather than just react to them. When you experience difficult challenges, you can react to them and think yourself into despair every time. Or you can look forward to the next opportunity and ask yourself what you learned from that failure. Is your first thought, I will never do anything right. You don't have to get trapped by disabling thoughts. You are capable of getting out of your shame and despair and hopelessness and anger by taking control of your thoughts. Number four, take your disabling thoughts captive through confession. Paul urges us to take every thought captive to make it obedient to Jesus or to Christ. And that's in Romans chapter 12. Confront your disabling thoughts. Turn them over to God and become who he sees you to be. It will take work to take your thoughts captive each time they pop into your mind. But it's possible with the help of the Holy Spirit. And when we bring our thoughts to God, he doesn't reject us and he doesn't punish us. He says, bring them to me and I will help you. Number five, choose to focus on the right things. Last week we read a Bible verse that tells us we're to think about those things that are true and noble, right, pure, lovely, admirable. In Philippians chapter 4, verse 8. 
we can choose to think about those things. When we think about those things, God's promise to us is that he will give us peace. When, when a contrast, or when we contrast that is to the thoughts of millions of people today and what that brings. As we look at our situation in the world that we find ourselves in, how desperate do we need to change what we're thinking about? How desperate do you see a world that needs to change the way and its thought patterns? It takes personal discipline and commitment. Don't look to a movie, a TV show, or a how-to formula to accomplish this for you. We need God's work in our lives. And lastly, number six, the last thing you need to know about taking your thoughts positive, po taking your thoughts captive is that it's possible. It is possible. It's not easy to retrain your thoughts or to respond in new Christ-like ways. Take heart. As God empowers you to focus your mind on the right things, it will become easier. You can develop a new frame of reference based on what is true, noble, right, pure, lovely, admirable, excellent, and praiseworthy as God renews your mind, renews your thinking. By the Holy Spirit, we can get grace and power to bring the thoughts into captivity to the obedience of Christ. And in this process, we become transformed into the person that God wants us to be. We have the wonderful hope that by overcoming sin in our thought life, we can become a little more like Christ as each day progresses. In this way, we become such valuable tools in God's hands. It is possible to live a life aware of our thoughts and taking them captive. God gave us the Holy Spirit to empower us to do just that. Thanks again for listening to one of the audio messages from Cornerstone Church Airdrie. I pray that you were blessed by what God had to say in this message. If you would like to connect further with Cornerstone Church, there are a couple places you can go. First is our website, cornerstonefoursquarechurch.com, and select the Airdrie campus. And some of the best ways to connect with us is through our social media channels. You can like us on Facebook at facebook.com slash cornerstoneairdrie. Follow us on Twitter at csairdrie. And on Instagram at cornerstoneairdrie. If you'd like to connect with the pastoral team at Cornerstone, you can do that again through our website, cornerstonefoursquarechurch.com. Click on the Airdrie campus, then click on the About Us on the main menu, and then one last click on Our Campus Pastors. You can also subscribe to our podcast on iTunes and get new messages delivered directly to you. We are so thankful to be able to share the gospel message of Jesus Christ with our community in Airdrie and with you today. At Cornerstone Church Airdrie, we are a family not by blood, but a family that's been bought by blood. And that family includes you. We follow Jesus together as family we go. Every burden, every crown, this is my surrender.
my surrender.